John chapter 5, verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem for that purpose. Some say it was the Feast of the Tabernacle. Some say it was the Passover. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches around it. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water stepped after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked and on the same day was the Sabbath. We ask Heavenly Father for your direction as we consider these words. Perhaps we've heard a dozen messages from this scripture. May we be reminded of what we've heard and the truths of it be driven further into our hearts and souls. We pray that the children of God may rejoice in the Lord's grace. And may someone today join them in that family, being born again by your hand and grace. Bless these thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name, for his sake, for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. The Gospel of John goes out of its way to show us the Lord Jesus in a very spectacular light, a specially brilliant light. It puts the eternal Son of God in the spotlight, particularly shining on his divinity, his divine nature. We see the Son of God. I wouldn't say that the other Gospels don't also do that, but they don't seem to have the same intensity that we see in John's gospel. And then when he was finished, he wrote, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John 20, 30, and 31. The purpose of the Gospel of John is to have you recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through him and him alone is eternal life, is salvation. Our scripture for this morning describes John's third sign, third out of seven that he gives to us. 
And the conclusion is the same here as it is with the other six. Bow your knee to Christ. Worship Him. Trust Him for your salvation. We are encouraged to see Christ as Lord and King, but also to see Him as the Creator Savior. We are not to honor Him as a moral philosopher, as a presidential candidate, as, as a great physician. We're encouraged to worship the sovereign God who has absolute uh, omnipotence and grace. Here we see a loving Savior reaching down into a human gutter to raise up and make whole a thoroughly unworthy person. This is the God we need. This is the Savior that our world needs to see shining through us as lights. Intellectually, you may be searching for ways to avoid verse number four. Description of the angel and the stirring of the waters. Maybe you've heard people in the past, preachers, have told you that verse number four is only expressing a silly Jewish superstition that was around in those days. But keep several things in mind, beginning with the fact that at the end of this paragraph, a severely crippled man was healed in a spectacular fashion. Now, if there was a miracle at the end of this story, why could there not be miracles at the beginning of the story? If you're going to acknowledge the one, why not acknowledge the other as well? God may have ordained the stirring of these waters for years in preparation for eventually glorifying his son in the salvation of this one special man. It all may have been preparation. And remember as well that this is recorded in the word of God without any qualifying statements. For someone to say this is a Jewish superstition, he has no biblical authority to say that because the Bible certainly doesn't say that. Always taking the Bible literally, unless we have biblical reason not to do so, we should believe verse number four to be fact. There it is. Furthermore, we're told that people in the past had been healed in these periodically stirred waters. Apparently, there was documented evidence to that fact. I will grant that nowhere else in the Bible do we have miracles like this. And I will also grant that this, these stirring of the waters miracles are somewhat contrary to the general rules when it comes to miracles. But there it is. There it is in the Bible. So I believe it. Verse number four is fact. Believing this miraculous healing actually took place in exactly the way that it is described, I also believe that the Holy Spirit had lessons above and beyond the simple healing of this man. Lessons for us. The Bible was written as John has told us. John's book is written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him we might have life eternal. 
Not only was this middle-aged man able to walk home for the first time in about four decades, but his soul, most likely, was or is with the Savior at this moment. I believe that he was saved. So in that regard, in its spiritual aspect, we can look at this historical event and apply it to ourselves. The situation is different. No pool. Not even this one. No angelic stirring. Spiritual. Holy Spirit stirring, I hope. I pray. If this man was not born again, he certainly can be used as an illustration of what it is to be born again. But I really do believe that he became a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, ordinary miracles were not commonly performed indiscriminately or randomly. In the Bible, miracles were graciously given to authenticate God's message. Whether we're talking about the miracles of Moses or Elijah and Elisha, the miracles of the apostles in the book of Acts, or the Lord himself. These miracles said, I am who I say I am. This message is true. Miracles weren't sent by the Lord simply to make people feel good. Or to improve their lives. No matter how many people or how few there had been, even those earlier healings here at Bethesda set the stage for the coming of the Savior and this more spectacular miracle, which really didn't have anything to do with the moving of the waters. And yet, those other healings may have provoked a few spiritually minded people to rightly think every good gift, every perfect gift, cometh down from the Father of lights, cometh down from heaven. Now surrounding the pool of Bethesda were these five porches, covered uh, areas. And under them lay a number of sick people. Sometimes there were dozens. Sometimes there were hundreds. We're told a multitude of people were there on this particular occasion. And of all those people, until they grew too tired... Their eyes were fixed on the surface of the water. Also, there were others, apparently, to help those who were sick. Help them get into the water. Be that first one into the water. As you know, there are some hospitals scattered across this country and around the world that are identified with the word Bethesda. Their emergency rooms are sometimes filled with sick people and injured people and the friends and relatives of those sick and injured people waiting for the stirring of the medicinal waters. And there are a few churches with the same name and again with people whose eyes are fixed on priests and crucifixes and communion wafers hoping to be healed. None of those religious people, trusting in stirring waters, have ever been saved by such things. In fact, just the opposite might have occurred. Think about it. 
How many people drowned struggling to get into this water while other people are struggling to get into this water? Was anyone ever crushed by the scramble to be the first one into the pool? There's an illustration there. All of this religiosity that we have in our world, all the staring at religious water stirring has killed more than it has healed. We don't need religion. We need this one who's walking by. We need Christ Jesus. Into that scene of suffering, into that religion with its special faith, came the Savior and his disciples. John was there. What he relates, he sees with his eye. This is not hearsay. He's not reporting what others had told him. He was there and he saw this. But why was Jesus there rather than in the temple or walking around viewing the great palaces in Jerusalem? Why is he at Bethesda? I think he must needs go through Bethesda because there was one of his chosen people there to be blessed. Jesus stepped over people. He stepped around other people until he came to an apparently impossible case. There's no way this guy's going to get into the pool. He passed over blind people. He passed over people with withered arms. People with various cancers and other diseases. Stepped around them. Stepped past them. Don't fault the Lord for this. There was not a single person there at Bethesda who deserved the blessing of the Lord. None. For the Lord to save one in a hundred... For the Lord to save one in a thousand is an act of grace for which he deserves to be eternally praised and not criticized for not saving the 99 or the 999. Having passed by many, he looked down and probably with a smile on his face, I, my imagination, he said to this man, Wilt thou be made whole? How did he say it? Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? I don't know. He didn't ask the man if he wanted help getting into the pool. He didn't ask if he wanted to know the timetable of angelic stirrings so that he could be next in line to drop into the water. He didn't ask if the man wanted to be made wealthy. No legs, lots of money. I can live with that. He didn't ask him if he wanted a friend or a wife. Will thou be made whole? What a strange question. What a silly question. Of course I want to be made whole. Why do you think I'm here? But notice the man didn't actually say that. If I might digress and return to the lesson we had a few minutes ago, what the man said was, in effect, I need a friend. I need a friend. Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. I need a, a helping friend. 
This is one of the great needs of the world today. Loving friends. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. This is adversity. This man needs a friend. He needs a brother to help him get into the pool. The spiritually sick and maimed around us need a, a Christian friend to bring them to the Savior. Or, going back to our lesson a few minutes ago, the world needs a Christian friend to bring the Savior to the lost, the injured, the dying. This man needed a friend. Of course, we see that he was maimed, crippled somehow. He was utterly impotent from his legs down, could not walk. That great multitude around the pool included representatives from every walk of life, in my imagination, probably true. There were men. There were probably women. There may have been children there needing cures. Grandmothers and grandfathers. There were city people. There were country people that hobbled in from outside the walls of Jerusalem to be there. Maybe they were there often. There were people who were once rich, but because of their disease or their injury, they had been lowered down to the level of everybody else. They're no longer rich. There may have been Levites there. There may have been former priests there. Sadducees, Pharisees. Everyone's on the same level. Maybe even a few foreigners. All of these people, with all of their variety, were basically all the same. We are all the same. We're a bunch of wretched sinners, dead in trespasses and iniquities, deserving absolutely nothing from the Lord. We're all equal. We see illustrated here what great misery sin has brought to this planet. We read here of a man who apparently had this paralysis. He's described as impotent. He's described as infirmed. And he's described as unable to walk. Perhaps we'd call him today a paraplegic. Or perhaps some even more wretched word. His life had become a living death. And at this time, he lay in a cemetery among other semi-corpses. Furthermore, in God's sight, in the sight of Jesus Christ, he was dead in sin. No spiritual life. None. It's pointless to speculate on how he became lame. We have no information. Maybe he was born this way. Probably not, but maybe so. I can't tell you how, but I can tell you with authority exactly why he was there. The malady from which he suffered is sin. Sin rendered this man incapable of going into the temple to worship the Lord. He had no access to God. He was a sinner. Now don't misunderstand me. Don't believe the somewhat common idea that the Lord judged him with this crippled condition because or as punishment for some sin in his life. When he was a child, he 
uh, stole caps from the corner store, and so God crippled him for the rest of his life. Nothing like that. Please don't accuse me of saying that if someone has a sore throat, he's obviously under the judgment of God and he needs to straighten up and fly right. Such a thought is wicked and sinful. I've often tried to tell you so. But the fact remains, there would be no pain, there would be no suffering, there would be no death in this world if there was no sin in this world. In Eden, prior to Adam and Eve's fall, there was no death in any way, shape, or form. There was no sickness, nothing like that. But then they chose to sin. Those two chose to sin against the Lord. And introducing that into creation, there has been nothing more sure in this world than pain and death. It's a result of sin. As I tried to say we could go, a couple of weeks ago. The Lord God commanded, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, that's talking about the ultimate effect of, of sin. Disease and injury are the, the first effects, not the ultimate effect. It all comes from sin. How deeply we ought to hate and fear sin in every one of its forms. When it creeps up on you, even though you're a child of God, you have the obligation to say, no, this, this has destroyed Creation. This is why Christ died on the cross. We should hate sin. In all the infirmity of Bethesda, we see the effects of God's curse against sin upon sinners. And among its ultimate effects, we see man's impotence against disease and death. We can't do anything about death. But here's an illustration of either greater, uh, even greater impotence. Far more than the inability of the body to overcome illness or injury is the impetus, excuse me, the impotence of the human spirit, the soul. I believe and preach in the liberty of any soul to come to Christ. I believe that whosoever will may come to the Lord. I preach that whosoever will should come to the Lord. I plead with souls to repent and trust Christ. I urge you to hate your sin, to trust Christ for salvation. But I also know no one will ever turn to the Lord until the Lord first plants a desire within him to do so. Furthermore, I think that if anyone beseeches the Lord, pleads with the Lord, I, it's, because, it's because the Lord has given him a, an urge for that salvation. Continue to pray. Continue to plead. Yes. 
The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. No one will come to Christ for salvation until the Holy Spirit gives him the ability to do so. Mm, Lord, give me that ability. I believe that Jesus, in Christ Jesus, was power to heal every single body, every single soul at Bethesda that day. Furthermore, I think that if anyone had asked him, Oh, is that Christ? Hey, Jesus, would you, I am blind, would you heal me? I think the Lord would have done so. But there was not a single person at poolside that day who asked. There was not a single person there who was not curable by Christ. And nobody cared. Nobody desired it. No one asked him. Not one person asked because it was contrary to their nature. It was contrary to their religion. It was contrary to the situation. No, their eyes are focused on the water, not on Christ. Not a single person asked. Jesus took the initiative in saving and healing this man. And with that mind, I will tell you, if you truly yearn for salvation from sin, ask Him. Pray for it. Ask Him. When this man was healed, great things took place. In his heart. In, in the whole... In heaven. The Lord came in. He wasn't checking social security cards. This was no hospital Bethesda. Do you have the right insurance? Nothing like that. Didn't check skin color, church membership, nothing. He had no respect for persons in such ways as that. But the fact is, not a single soul even looked in his direction. Even the man who was eventually healed, Christ looked at him first. Their attentions were firmly fixed on the possibility of angelically stirred water. They were more interested in what had become their man-centered religion than they were in Christ. What's more, there's no word that anyone sought the Lord even after this man was healed. I don't know, but I see no record of that. In verse 40 of this chapter... Jesus will say, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. It's contrary to the sinner's nature. It is against the nature of the sinner to seek the Savior. Those people would rather search the waters of Bethesda, for in them they thought to have eternal health. When Jesus asked his strange question, wilt thou be made whole, he was showing that a man does not want to be made whole. He has to draw this out. As I said, the Bible teaches, and I believe, that whosoever will to the Lord may come. But the fact is, man's free will is not really free. It's bound by corruption. It's blinded by Satan. It is dead. 
Just as we see in this case, Christ took the initiative. He had to start the conversation because the crippled man wasn't going to do it. The, only the direct intervention of the Lord can open up the human heart and give life to the soul. Does that make the situation hopeless? Does that mean sinners have nothing to do with this equation? Don't despair. The story is not over. Jesus asked his question to show us all how misdirected we are by nature. Do you know the meaning of the word Bethesda? It comes from two words. Beth means house. You find it throughout the word of God. And the second word refers to mercy. Bethesda means a house of mercy. As I've said, there are hospitals around the country that are called Bethesda, but actually a better name for it, or a better use of the word, is as a, a name for a church. But Bethesda is a misnomer without the presence of Christ. Only in the Lord is real mercy. Because remember, all sin is against Him. He must show the mercy. It is a fact that there are thousands of people who go to church thinking by, that by sitting close to the waters, the baptismal waters, the altar or the pulpit, they'll somehow be spiritually healed. But their eyes are in the wrong direction. Some of them are looking at preachers and priests. Multitudes are waiting for the stirring of the baptismal waters or offering the mass. Jesus' question has to be asked and re-asked. Wilt thou be made whole? Nearly everybody would say, certainly. But do you understand the question? Many mean, I want to be rid of the effects of my disease. I'm not really interested in being complete. I'm not interested in being whole in the sight of God. They want to go to heaven. They want to escape hell. But they have no desire in identifying with the Savior. Jesus' question was not simply, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be whole? It was not, do you yearn for restored health? Jesus' question is, do you want to be all that God created man to orig originally be? Is that a good sentence? Do you want to be whole? The question for all of us is, do you yearn to have fellowship with God the way Adam had fellowship with God before he sinned? Is this what you want? There is completeness. There is spiritual health. That is entirely different from just, do you want to be free from your pain? Do you want to escape hell? When this man was healed, Christ was walking up the path toward Calvary. The healing was performed, as we see in verse number 9, on the Sabbath. And immediately, the over-religious Pharisees were saying, this man has broken the Sabbath. They looked at the man who was healed carrying his uh, bedroll. You're breaking the Sabbath. And at Christ's trial, they brought up the fact that he was constantly breaking the Sabbath. 
constantly breaking the Sabbath. When at the command of Christ, the man picked up his mat or his blanket or whatever it was on which he was laying, he was taking sides with the crucified one. He was identifying with Christ in his obedience, in his faith. That is the meaning of the question. And it still applies to us. Why are you here this morning? Wilt thou be made whole? Really? Do you want to be free from the corruption that sin is producing in your life? To be honest, most people do not want that kind of wholeness. There's too much fun in telling a lie. There's too much buzz in that liquor, that joint. There's, there's too much uh, titillation in that steamy story. They enjoy their wicked, atheistic friends. I will not give them up. There's too much pleasure in sin during this season of good health. Good health comes to an end. In fact, life comes to an end. When I get sick enough, when I get weak enough, when I get old enough, then I will reconsider your question, Christ. Are you sure about that? You may not hear that question again. This is it. Now is the accepted time. Oh, now is the day of salvation. Obviously, in asking that question, Jesus was telling the man that he was not whole in body. He was not wholly whole. Of course, we, the man knew that his body was broken, but did he understand the condition of his soul? We're being told today that our handicaps are only what we allow them to be in our lives. We can get over those things. And maybe that's true in a physical area, but it's exactly the opposite in the things of the Spirit. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. You are not whole before God, who knows all things, and who is absolutely holy. But will you admit it enough to turn to Christ for spiritual wholeness? When Jesus asked this question, he was prompting the man to examine himself. Are you ready to be whole? Have you laid here long enough? Are you willing to do anything necessary to have my eternal blessings? If the Lord is asking you that question, you, you need to hear it not up here, but here in your heart. Are you searching for wholeness? If you say yes to the Lord, holiness will be given. Christ was speaking to the heart of this man saying, if you want it, if you really want it, you may have it. What is required of him? To submit to Christ. Don't worry whether or not any, anyone's available to baptize you in that pool. Simply get up, take up your bed, and walk. Walk with the Savior. Follow Him. Salvation from sin, as illustrated in this man, is a matter of trusting Christ. Trusting what He has said. Just as the fall into sin was instantaneous, so is deliverance from the effect of that fall. 
as it was in Jesse's, Jesse Warden's testimony a few minutes ago. Deliverance from the penalty of our sin is not something that we do physically or even in something that we intellectually believe. Salvation is the person of Christ. He is life. The man was healed the moment he believed the Lord. And then he proved it by his effort to grab the mat and follow the Lord. It was not his act of faith so much as it was that he believed the Lord and his words. I don't know if I worded that very well. It was the grace and power of Christ which healed that man. And so it is in our redemption from sin. We believe the promise. The work is finished. The Lord has accomplished it. Now, get up. Follow Him. Quit your sin. Take up your bed and walk with the Lord. Don't leave any excuse to come back to this pool again other than to help somebody else. Is Christ's question silly? Wilt thou be made whole? It's an absolutely essential question. The only people who truly want to be made whole are those whom the Spirit of God has convicted about their need. You need to be whole. Eternity's out there. Life is short. And if the Lord has given you that desire to be whole, take your eyes off your crippledness, take your eyes off your sin, Take your eyes off the religion that's surrounding you. Look at the Savior. Look to Christ. Hasn't he said, get up? Then believe him. Take up your bed and walk. Saving faith is not merely an agreement with God that Jesus died on the cross. He died for sin. He died for my sin. Saving faith is reaching up for the bloody, nail-pierced hand of the Savior. That's what I need. I need the Savior. I need Christ. It's identification with the Savior. It's trust in the Savior. It's in trust what He says. Lord, I believe. I trust that you have told what you have told me about your sacrificial death and I trust that you will apply those that death to me the effects will be shared with me once again I say to you I feel like I'm stumbling around words today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, made whole. Won't you trust Christ this morning? Please stand. Heavenly Father, you know that I have committed this message into your hands. From the moment I woke up this morning, I asked to be emptied 
that you would occupy my lips and my tongue. I pray that it has been so. Let the children of God have been given cause to rejoice. And that the lost, whoever they might be, perhaps around somewhere on the other side of the earth, perhaps listening over their computer, they might be stirred to trust Christ as Savior. You know what our needs are. Ask, Lord, that you'd bless this simple hymn. Perhaps we sing it too often. Perhaps we don't sing it often enough. Speak to hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn to number 294. The man was an invalid, crippled. And the Savior took him. Made something of him. Just as I am, 294. Invitation to you. Will you come to Christ? Just as I am without one way, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. chatting with this young man last Sunday night. We asked him about his testimony of Christ. Correct me if I get any of this wrong. Uh, a few years ago, not very long ago, in his uh, uh, freshman year at college, the Lord, he was going to his dorm. Uh, the Lord just crushed him. He couldn't get to his dorm fast enough and throw his backpack down and uh, humble himself before the Lord. Amen. Recognized, he, he used the word depravity. A young Christian using the word depravity. He recognized his sinful condition and 
His faith is now in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is that the general? Uh, yep, that is what, the general. Uh, you want to say anything? Um, yeah, just uh, uh, when I was when I was growing up as a freshman in, in, in high school, I was pretty lost. I was pretty lost in saying I'm thankful for wrestling for keeping me busy, keeping me. You know, things could have been a lot worse if my, my time and my energy wasn't given to that. And, you know, at the time, my parents, you know, I didn't, I didn't always appreciate my dad for making me put in that work, but it kept me, kept me humble, and uh, I was kind of through wrestling that I uh, was able to find my, find my love, Jesus, and the work that he did on the cross. What kept me sane through high school was music. And the case of Matthias here was sports, wrestling. He tells me he would like to be baptized and become a member of our church. That's still accurate? Exactly. And I would like to recommend Matthias to the congregation. And we will get ready for baptism in the next uh, uh, week or so, maybe two weeks. And uh, once he's baptized, receive him in the church. So I have a, a recommendation that upon his baptism, we receive him. We have Brother Steve Miller, uh, Brother Kilgard. Our secretary's not here. Uh, all in favor of receiving Matthias into the congregation? Any opposed? Wonderful. Yeah. Come on and check this guy's hand. He's a wonderful young man. Please stand. Heavenly Father, we're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Yes. Some have had harder lives than others. We all have a long way to go. How desperately we need Christian friends, brothers and sisters, help us. May we be a blessing to Matthias, as we are sure he will be a blessing to us. Thank you for this glorious morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.
I think what I mean, I think it was Yeah. 
Is that the dagger guy? Talk about that. Yeah, I, I saw my. I bought him, but I didn't. How are you? Glad to hear it. Is it neat? Don't remember what you did? Did you uh, yeah, so Paris say it was lighting? Did you make so where do you where do you pick that? There's a 